I'm going to entitle my message today, The Hidden Man. The Hidden Man. So many people have been taught principles. And a principle is beautiful, dynamic. It's so important. But one of the things that will absolutely change your life is when you take a principle and then you dive into the mechanics of that principle, the steps, the systems, the whys, the hows of that principle. In other words, that is where you discover. Let's say that you have a successful business and your kids enjoy it. They love the beautiful house, the cabin at the beach, the, you know, the extra car they get to drive and the, you know, and, and the lounges they get to sit in in the rumpus room and the family room, and they don't get it because you built it from scratch. You gutted it out side by side, husband and wife, when you worked all day, all night. The things you did to get the family to where it was and the principle of being blessed, parents usually don't really like how the kids embrace the principle. They want them to have the work ethic. They want them to be thankful. They want to understand the price that's been paid, the blood that's been spilt, etc. And I feel the same way about the Bible. Um, if you've been here for any length of time, I love teaching the Bible, but I love doing it in a way that deals with the practicality of life, not a bunch of doctrine that's useless. And if you've been around, you know I hate religion. Religion is a bunch of man-made rules that govern so many churches where we're going to judge you and determine whether or not you're good enough. Church is a place where we accept each other because you can't change anybody, including your spouse, and it'll take you a while to figure that out. And so you love people the way they are. You accept them the way they are. And then when they fall in love with the Word of God, you say, well, I would never fall in love with the Bible. It's got so many rules. I'd have to obey all these rules. Yeah, that's what religion's taught you. So I want to share some stuff that if you'll listen, and maybe listen to this a few times, I'm going to go through eight points, bam, 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 all the way through. But I'm, not, I'm hoping I can open up your eyes to something about how special you are, how incredible you are. The Bible uses this term, the hidden man. Then it talks about the old man. I called my dad the old man once. <laughs> it was a cool thing to do when I was a teenager and said, how's my old man today? My dad was never an emotional, angry man. He just stopped, turned around and he walked over to me. He looked up at me because he was a short guy. He said, son. Never call me again, the old man. I'd never seen him like this. I went, deal, absolutely. Well, not call you the old man. But the Bible has a term, and it's got to do with you, the old man. Then it talks about the new man. These terms are not talked about much. Most messages I see, because I travel around the world speaking at all kinds of denominations, most people don't teach in depth from the epistles because it's hard. You better know your stuff. It's not just simple. There's a complication that anybody can handle. It's not saying it's hard as in you're not going to handle it. I, I, I really hate when people who teach or leaders think that they're smarter than the people they lead. And so you, let me make decisions for you. When government does that, they got a fight on their hands with me. I'll make my own decisions, thank you. We didn't vote you in because you're smarter than us. We voted you in to keep freedom, etc. And the same is true for leaders in God's church. We're not smarter, we're not better, we're not more anointed, none of it. We just have a different function. And so you 
have a hidden man. Now, for the teenagers that are here, uh, and a lot of us men, if you like Marvel comics, it kind of reminds me of Spider-Man. It's that Peter Parker is the average teenager going to high school. You wouldn't know a thing until there's an emergency, and then all of a sudden, he literally is 10 times stronger than any other teenager. He uh, can stick to walls, throw webs. There's a combination of stuff he developed and his incredible strength and his spidey sense that goes off and can hear a cry for help from blocks away. And people are fascinated with Marvel comics. They've made billions of dollars because inside of every one of us is this innate sense that I'm more than my body, I'm more than my mind, I am more than my emotions, I'm more than my physical skills, and I'm more than my mental skills. Some of you have incredible muscle memory and in sports you're amazing. Some of you have fast twitch muscles, some of you have slow twitch muscles. We know this. We can look at all the giftedness that goes in physical and in the mind. Some of you, some of you that work for us, I mean everyone that works for me is smarter than me, but to sit down and look at the people who know numbers, you kind of go, you just figured that out in one conversation? Like they, they actually read accounting books. Like go figure. They read computer books. I mean stuff like that. That is, and so we all have skills and abilities, but I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the hidden man and the hidden woman deep inside of you. The Bible refers to it often, and that hidden man is influencing your life in horrible ways or in wonderful ways. And, there's, and this is not a teaching about the triune man where I'll show you the three parts because psychology only sees two parts, mental and physical. And they try to help people. And I'm so thankful for the doctors and the nurses that are here who work in that area of counseling and helping people. The Bible adds a third part and divides people into three parts. The third part is called the hidden man. Now, this hidden man is your spirit. And it's the real you. Now, when you look at the Bible, and let's talk about Adam in the garden. Adam and Eve, the story shares about how, when, you know, the beginning of time, that area, that they disobeyed God. And something unique when you read the story takes place. Adam, who was confident, a leader, walking around animals, naming them, giving them names as God had asked him to. All of a sudden, after a disobedient incident, he's hiding and running from God. Because Adam became born again. Adam and Eve became born again in reverse. Their spirit was full of the Spirit of God. Their spirit was full of the presence of God, radiating confidence and joy, radiating power to have dominion over the planet, over animals, whatever's in the water, the air, man had dominion. He could dive in the ocean and swim with great whites. They would obey him. Okay, this is the biblical picture of man's dominion over the planet. But when Adam changed and disobeyed God, then he had spiritual death. And because of the dark kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, his spirit man emptied itself of the presence of God, which is filled with, with, with joy and peace and confidence and a connection to God so incredible that deep inside it goes, hey, Dad. Whereas now they have no ability to enter and to meet with God or to enter the presence of God. Adam became born again. The light of the presence of God went out. And to make matters worse, 
his spirit now connected to the kingdom of darkness. Your spirit is connects to spiritual things. Your body connects to physical things. And your mind connects to mental things, emotional things. The voice is the voice of reasoning. Now, when you follow Adam, the world became brutally awful. I mean, incredibly bad. When you watch movies, they'll make it look as if hundreds of years ago that, you know, we had teepees or igloos or, or dugouts or, you know, huts and the kids played in the long grass and we shot the antelope and the buffalo and, and uh, you know, and in Africa we killed this. And, and, we, and, and it was just, love was so, I mean, life was so pastoral and peaceful. That is such a lie. When you study the Bible in actual recorded history, it was so brutal that men had the right in almost all societies to kill women or kids. They reigned. There was evil. They worshipped idols that caused, called for child sacrifices. I mean, you go and actually look at history, it is so sick as man's spirit connected to the darkness. There's two kingdoms in the spirit world, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness, and man had no ability to connect to the kingdom of light and to God. But because his spirit was still there, it connected to another spirit realm, the kingdom of darkness. And so man could now manifest such doubt, such anger, such fear, selfishness, self-centeredness is the very root of witchcraft. Bible says very clearly that stubbornness is as the sin of witchcraft. There's so much in the Bible that is so brilliant that I'm fascinated. I've been studying it now for 45 years, preaching for 40, and I just can't get enough of it. I just love to get, and just, just to share. Look what I'm seeing here now. So the old self was born into spiritual death. And that is where doubt, fear, you feel empty, discouraged, unloved, lost, that orphan's heart that every human being has. Study all the great men and women of past from centuries ago who could invent things and you'll find although they seem to have an ability to, to be incredible thinkers, they're so messed up inside they've got to find whatever pleasures they can to give them a break because they're so empty. They feel like orphans. They feel, and all of us feel like that. This is the condition of the old self, your spirit without Christ. Now, when the cross came about and Jesus died for you and I, it made it possible for us to be forgiven for our penalty to be removed, and not just forgiven, but a new life to now come inside the hidden man. And the hidden man, which was the old self, you now become a new self. And the presence of God, the nature of God, enters your spirit. And now within your spirit is a state of joy, a state of peace that never goes away. There's a state of love, a state of, of such confidence. But the problem is your mind and your body have been trained under the kingdom of darkness. And so you need to understand now that this born again, the Bible calls it nature, change in the hidden man has to come alive on the rest of you. This sense of belonging and peace and, and, and you're powerfully energized. This development of the new creation is the nature of the Father taking over the rest of your life, which is up to you. Get into God's Word. Learn who you are. Begin to sense deep inside. You don't have to look somewhere for, I need some peace, peace, peace. 
peace. I just need to feel confident. Dun, 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 dun. As though you're looking for it somewhere. The most selfish, no, the most unhappy people I've ever met in 40 years of pastoring are people who are looking for themselves. Because that's self-centered. And the Bible says, when it says, pick up your cross and follow me, he's not meaning die to any kind of a life. He just means die to selfishness. And when you do and you live for God and for people and you care about those around you, you're now in love's nature. And as you do that, your life thrives. You, you just live excited. And if you nurture this, I need to have a desire. You know, I've been, such a, I've been a faithful dad, a faithful mom. I just need a year or two off, honey. It was good knowing you. Or, you know, you look after the kids. Anytime you begin to look after your own desires and focus on your own like that, you begin a cycle that is so brutal it leads to unhappiness, brutal unhappiness. And so what you do is you don't find yourself by yourself, you find yourself with the people that are around you. Okay, and I, I could go and dive into that, but let's just leave that there for you to think on and, and develop. So God always deals with the hidden man. He doesn't talk to your head. If you sense and feel God up here, it's coming from deep within you. He doesn't talk to your emotions. He talks to your spirit. And so therefore, as you begin to get into God's word, it's amazing how you begin to sense and to know um, what he wants and what is right. And as you begin to use God's word and obey God's word, your spirit man begins to get back into control of your senses. Your five senses dominate your life. But you know, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, Adam had a spirit that was alive with the presence of God. He could, you know, and, and so this is what gave him such dominion and confidence and protection and power. I mean, lions have claws, we have blunt nails. I mean, rhino's hide is so thick you can hardly get a knife through it. Look at our skin. You don't have any teeth to bite anything. Are we strong? The elephant's stronger. Almost every animal out there is stronger than us. A 40-pound baboon has three times the strength of a man. I mean, what was it that gave Adam any kind of leadership and power? It was because of the spirit man that was alive with the very presence of God. God. And so you and I, now listen close to this because some religious guy here is going to get upset. You are in the God class. I'm not saying that we are equal to God. I'm saying we are in the God class. Now the world wants to say we're another animal walking the planet. Every animal was made for man. The planet was made for man. We are the children of God. Cats have kitties. Dogs have puppies. Cows have calves. Horses have colts, moose have meese. Uh, well, you know, and so you know that, that this nature of a moose is in that moose. Well, if we are children of God, and it's very clear that we are made in the likeness and the image of God. So when Adam walked the garden, God was showing him, teaching him to be like him, act like him, act like his father God. When he, was, when he had to be removed from the garden because a tree of life was there, he no longer had this power source called the presence of God. In fact, now he's connected to the dark kingdom where that fallen angel had, you know, his hate, his anger, his, his loneliness, his fear. And that is what gripped Adam's spirit. Now, think this thing through with me because as I began to think this thing through, this is, it, it was stunning. Now, his five senses had to come to life because the, the, the world's a dangerous place. Animals can kill you. 
people will kill you. You can get hurt. And so his five senses begin to dominate. You know, he had to see clearly or he could lose his life. He had to hear and listen to things very keenly or, or an animal could take advantage of him. He had to taste things to see if it was good to eat. He had to touch things to see if it's sharp or, or hot or cold. He had to smell something so that he'd know what's up wind. Is it a raging fire? Is it something going on that I need to be very aware? The five senses begin to control his life and this fearful life, these five senses which only feed the mind, okay? They became in control. So, in, 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 as you look at this, you begin to recognize that the way God designed you is to be like him. Now, the, where we should look in the Bible, anytime you have a problem with a verse or someone's exegesis of it, go to Jesus and just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because Jesus, it says, was the picture of the Father. This is what God looks like, acts like, and talks like. And so you can see how he treats people. Uh, could anybody hurt him? Was he ever sick? Did anybody, like, and you see this incredible man walking with complete dominion over, you know, people trying to kill him, storms trying to drown him, uh, people needing help. And then how did he treat people with such love? He valued people, but he was never a doormat for any manipulative person out there. So... That's who we should look for. So, but the problem was now that Adam, who had five senses being developed, his spirit man was in prison because it couldn't do anything. And if it, and if it was connected, it was it, just deep inside. It's just doubt and fear that's rising out of him. It's an awful existence. And so it's like he was in prison. In fact, it says that in Psalms 142.7. It says here, bring my soul, my spirit, out of the prison. People have a sense when they don't have a born-again experience and a renewal of their mind. There's this sense that there's more. There's just something I'm missing. As a seven-year paramedic years ago and as a pastor, I've been to so many suicides, been able to talk people out of it in some cases. But it's people don't want a life. They don't even want to exist anymore. And they could tell you of their problems, like someone betrayed me or I lost the person I loved, etc. And, and, and the heartache is, is brutal and it's off the charts. But there's something even greater than that. At their core, there's such a hopelessness, such an emptiness. And it literally just feeds depression and unhappiness because it comes out of a spirit man that is not born again. And so when Jesus died on the cross and he went to hell in your place and he took your sin and he took your punishment and he rose again, which is the most important covenant. This is the covenant that we work with today. It's just not being taught to people. And so I want you to understand that this cry from the human spirit for liberty, this cry for freedom has been through the ages and the thousands of years as mankind wants this freedom. And John 8.36 says, if the Son will make you free, you shall be free indeed. Like this just means power. John 8.32, you, when you know the truth going to set you free. Know what truth? The truth of the hidden man and the truth of what Jesus did for him. When you understand this, something rises up in you and you know. You know, the story was told, I heard a, a leader talk about this young lady from centuries ago as a prostitute just to feed her kids. 
just to get food on the table, looking after all these, these awful men. And, and then one day they find out and, uh, that she actually has royal blood, that she's related to the king's family. It was proven. It was shown. She was snapped off the streets, brought into the castle, um, begins to understand her identity, her lineage, you know, who she is. Do you think she's ever tempted on an odd weekend to go back to the alley and look after a bunch of guys? No. It's a new her. And I think that when we understand the born-again experience, that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, and he comes in, and he makes you brand new, literally the old Jew is gone. There's a freedom that comes to your spirit that is stunning. And you and I need to understand that this freedom now needs to come into a mind that has been trained under the old self. And when you do that, you'll begin to sense this artesian well of joy and peace that begins to flow out of you greater and greater as the presence of God begins to wash your mind with the water of the word, Ephesians says. And it gives you the most amazing ability to control your body and any desire that you've got. But if you believe that your body's desires are more powerful than your spirit power, then the Bible, Jesus said, according to your faith, so be it done unto you. If you believe that you are your emotions, if you believe, now I'm not putting aside, emo, I love emotions, and emotions are powerful, but when you begin to realize that your emotions aren't you, your emotions come from your focus and how you interpret an event. Once you understand that, you begin to set yourself free. If I was to, when I'm done here, walk out of the auditorium and I shake four people's hand across the front, but I miss the third person. And she's got her hand out, and I just walk right by her and shake the other person's hand. And she sees me shake everybody's hand but her. She has a choice. She can just go, I don't know why. I'm sure he's not mad at me. Uh, so I think his brain is just so mushy after he preaches, he can't see straight. She gives me a pass, and she's free. But if she goes, wow, the pastor of this church won't even shake my hand. Someone told him something about me. And she'll think about it all day, all week. Next time she sees me, if I don't happen to be as nice. It, it, it's amazing how that we think our emotions are right. But when you understand the hidden man of the heart, that the presence of God enters that, and that you need, that emotions are beautiful, but God created emotions to all be positive. The emotions to be peace. The Bible says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, this incredible being right with God, this sense of clean and accepted and daddy, peace and joy. And it doesn't go, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, hate, anger, bitterness, murder, and a few other poor things you're going to have to deal with, poor sucker. No, in the new you, that's not there. But the old you is trained that way. So you can become a born-again believer, give your life to Christ, and if you never renew your mind to the new you, if you don't dive into the Word and, and learn these things, you'll never exercise this stunning ability that you have in you. I'll tell you another story about how important it is to learn. I was a javelin thrower at a young age. I don't know why. I, 
I was a preacher's kid in Weldon, Saskatchewan, and I liked to throw rocks. I threw rocks by the gallons. Every day I just threw rocks. And I found that I had developed a throwing arm so good I could outthrow my dad, full-grown men, by 12 or 13. And then when I got into high school, um, I could pick up a ball from the outfield and hit, hit the backstop with it, or go over the backstop with it. And so then they got me into track and field, and, and javelin was the one that I really enjoyed. And man, I could throw that thing, and I beat everybody in our town and in our northern province. And, and then a coach got a hold of me. Brilliant technique coach. And he laughed at me, and he says, Leon, you want me to coach you a little bit? I thought, I have the gold medal. What are you going to coach me with? He says, do you know you run to the end of the runway, you jump into the air and arm the javelin out there? I said, so it works. Yeah, but he said, did you know there are 17 power positions to throwing a javelin? And that you need to use the muscles in your feet, the position of your ankles, where you dip your knee, the flowing through of your hip, the other arm has to come out, your stomach's got to lead through, your chest muscles have to stretch out, and you can use almost every muscle in your body as a whip, and you can launch that baby. And he intrigued me. I'd never thought of that before. I just did what worked. And there began my coaching to go on onto the provincial team and train for the Olympics. I was stunned, didn't even know my body could do that, that all I had to do was run down and after a, a year of training, just plant your feet there, go at this speed in this position, and he showed me the positions they did in, in the exact order. If you, you know, if you throw your elbow back at the right time when the javelin arm is back, you get this whip across your chest. If you don't and you throw it, you're gonna have a cramp and a muscle rip like you've never believed. I was throwing my spine out, I was wrecking my hands, I mean, I was wrecking all this stuff because I was doing things wrong, but I was winning. I was doing good. And this is the reason I'm telling you this story is because you are the hidden man and you've hardly touched what you can do. And God's word and the Holy Spirit will get a hold of you and show you how to walk in such joy that the blues won't touch you. Well, I've got hormones. We've all got hormones. Did you know? that the presence of God in your spirit, according to the book of Romans chapter 8, that it touches every cell in your body and it, and it gives it God's life, that it touches your mind, your emotions. This issue of the hidden man is so profound that the teaching of the Bible is all about you discovering who you really are, not religion, not Here's the 10 things you can't do when you come to our church. And if you do them, you're going to hell, you dirty, rotten sinner. Like that's been religion. And we know that we should change. Your wife wants you to change. Your kids want you to change. Your husband wants you to change. We'd kind of like it too if you'd change. And everybody's hoping I'll change in some areas. So change is good. Don't get me wrong. But when you get the cart before the horse and you attack people in where they are before showing them who they are, you destroy them. And so religion has destroyed people. It's just destroyed them. You should be doing this, you should be doing that. You're going, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Before you do that, let's tell them who they are. They're a child of the king of God. He's in love with you. You're so valuable to him that he believes in you. And when you start with identity and how much he loves you, and then you say, you're so gifted. Like I'd have, I had one coach in football. He just screamed at me, Fontaine! I can still hear his voice go just echo across, Fontaine! and if he, anything I did wrong, and he knew what he was doing. I didn't like him though. 
But I had another coach who would say, you are gifted. And because you're gifted, I'm going to work you harder. Are you okay with that, Leon? I love that man. Love that man. God is saying to you, you're gifted. You're made in his likeness and image. The hidden man that you haven't discovered yet will rise up on the inside of you and help you to govern everything from your habits to your gifts to your emotions to your mind. You're going to be renewed. I'm going to raise you up to do things you never dreamed possible. There's And the careers and the things, the parenting and the generations of your family name. I just want to challenge you today. I covered a lot of stuff just quickly. There's a hidden man as to who you really are. Let's stop looking at the things you don't like. Last thought, I got to close, I'm, I'm over. The Bible says in Ezekiel 11 that I will give them one heart. It's prophecy about the future when Jesus would die on the cross. And he's saying here that people who give their lives to Christ have a love for each other. John goes on to teach prolifically that it's this love that separates us from the world. You can join a gang, Hell's Angels, Mom's Soccer Club. Uh, you can join, you know, whatever you want. And, and, and it's, it's nice to have camaraderie, but the church is supposed to have such love and acceptance for each other that when one person falls, we reach down and pick them up, brush them off and say, been there, done that. Come on, buddy, I'll help you out. You don't, we don't just go, dummy, and shoot our wounded. The church has been designed as a place, God's house, of such love and value for each other. Not perfection. Not perfection. And so I want to encourage you, church is valuable. Keep coming. Bring people out. Make sure that you understand that everything within you from God is free. The work is just in the growing up. Just in the maturing. It's not hard. It's just do a little work. And you're in your life's going to change in a profound way. Father, thank you. I pray that the things that we just touched on today would just bring hope to that person that's been struggling, that person that maybe has been told their whole life that they're worthless or never been told that they're special. For that one that's struggling with an addiction, whatever's going on, I pray that hope would come today. And Father, I ask they'll never forget the principles that your spirit has brought into their heart today. With every head bowed for just a moment, if, as you're listening to me talk about who you are and etc., God's presence has been calling you to follow him. He'll never force you to be his son, to accept Jesus as your savior, to become born again. But he wants you to. And in the next 30 seconds, I'm going to lead everybody in a powerful prayer of just saying, okay, God, I accept. And allow him to come in and turn the lights on in your spirit. The forgiveness is profound. The change is, is amazing. He's so in love with you. So before I lead everybody in that prayer, for all of you that would just say across the auditorium, Leon, just include me. Today, I, I want to give my life to God. Will you just raise your hand and wave at me till I see it and put it right back down? Just say, include me. Thank you. Anybody else? Give me a quick wave. Just say, yeah, include me, Pastor. Thank you. Others. Say, today I want to get right with God. I just want to give my life to Him. I want that new self, that born-again experience. For those who are watching right now, wherever you are, just pray along with me as I lead you in this prayer and just mean it. Make this choice. Just say, dear God, 
I give you my life. Forgive me for everything I've done wrong, all of it. And Jesus, come into my spirit. From today and on, I want to get to know you and your word in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Welcome to the family of God. That's how easy, that's how beautiful that is. Keep coming out because as you discover on this journey now what this means, you've done something powerful, but as you learn what it means, it's like just peeling off the skins of an onion. You just, really, really? <laughs> and it just gets gooder and gooder. Anyway, God bless you. I want to say thank you to those who give in our church. And, you know, you make such a difference. As a church here at Springs, there's so many ministries that God has opened up to us with two television channels, programs that go around the world in multiple languages and schools and churches. And, and just, he's really blessed us. But he's opening doors and asking us, would you help people? The message you just heard today, if we can get that to people who've been turned off by church, it would revolutionize their lives. And so we get it on television stations around the world, not just Canada, and it takes money. Because so anytime we have an opportunity that God opens up, we have to look at it, we've got to weigh, you know, and just like, okay, can we afford to do that? And I, I never want to say no to God. And so to all of you who give, I want to say thank you. One person said, well, I don't give that much. I said, I don't, I don't care. God actually doesn't look at how much you give. The Bible says when Jesus was watching, Jesus stood and watched the offering one time, and he often did it. And it said that a little widow lady put in two mites. And a rich man dropped in a bag of gold. Now, we need them both. But he just looked at his disciples and he just said, she's given more. So they wouldn't just honorably prefer the bags of gold. They'd recognize the sacrifice a widow woman made. And that's how I feel about all of us. We just do, all of us just do what we can. And as you do that, you feel like such a part of the team. So if you want to start, there's an envelope on your seat, or you can call our number and get a number if you want to give that way. Lots of us give online. But our giving allows us to take this message, not religion, but the freedom of knowing Jesus and who we really are to the world. So thank you for giving. If you'd like to give today in an offering, just fill out this sheet. You can put a credit card on the front. If you want to fill it out that way, put a check or cash in. If you fill it out, we can get you a tax-deductible receipt. And I think ushers are going to be at the back as you leave, standing there, if you'd like to drop it in that way.